All right. Well, let us take a, a moment just to kind of settle back in, and I'll offer up a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for bringing us to the safety of this new day for an opportunity to come and worship you here in this space. Please open our hearts to you, our minds, and our souls so that we may hear your voice and know where you lead us. In your name, amen. Good morning. (laughs) Again, I'm Lisa Bornt, and as Joe said, I'm a seminarian at Virginia Theological Seminary in Virginia. I've been working with New Hope and its partner, St. Hilda's, uh, with the Frederick Road Friday events in downtown Catonsville. As Joe said, we have had some bouts with rain, um, but I'm grateful to everyone in both congregations, especially the turnout from New Hope that has helped us to make those events a success and to reach out into the Catonsville community around us. I'm also grateful to Jason and to Joe for offering me the opportunity to share with you all this morning on the last two verses of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And since you all have been working through 1 Corinthians just a verse or two at a time, I'm sure you all are very ready for the end, (laughs) or rather perhaps the beginning of something new. So one more time, our passage this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 22, sorry, 23 through 24. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with all of you in Christ Jesus. So let me say that again. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with all of you in Christ Jesus. So love can have aspects of desire, friendship, and self-giving. Paul here in this passage is talking about that third kind, the particular type of self-giving love perfect love that comes from God has all of these elements because God desires to be in a relationship with us, wants us to be in relationship with him, and felt this so much that he sent his son, the person of Jesus, to show us how we can live into God's idea of love. So Thomas Traherne, who was a 17th century priest and poet, wrote about God's love in this way. In all love, there is a love begetting, a love begotten, and a love proceeding. It flows from itself and rests on its object. Love proceeds of necessity from itself, for unless it be of itself, it is not love. The love which flows is of the fountain of love. The love that streamed from it is the communication of love. The love which rests in the object is the love which streams to it. So that in all love, the Trinity, God, is clear. Love is the parent of love. Love in the stream is the effect of of love, and love seen or dwelling in the object proceeds from both. So Paul began his letter to this community by giving thanks 
for the grace of God that has been given you in Christ Jesus, which is chapter 1, verse 4. So it's not surprising that Paul would want to end the letter by coming back to remind the Corinthian community of the grace, the undeserved favor and acceptance that we have as a divine gift from God, and that God's grace pervades and wraps around everything, including the letter that he sent them. It's not startling that Paul would want to remind this community that everyone is equal before God. But this self-giving love that he ends this letter with is a bit shocking because it's not only the love of God that he's reminding this community of, but Paul is also reminding them of his own love for this community as well. Paul, in noticing and reminding them and wanting to affirm God's love in spite of their flaws, also wants to reach out and share the same sentiment, that the only thing in this world that can heal, restore, transform broken relationships and poor behavior of this Corinthian community, or really any community in any time, is the bond of love in Christ that not only ties Paul to them, but God is also present inside that bond, that relationship of love. That is the dwelling, the proceeding love that Traherne is lifting up in his poem because love carries the ultimate hope for healing our divisions. This bond is something for our own scandal and folly in our lives, broken relationships, poor behavior, whatever seeks to divide us from God, whatever seeks to divide the people of God. That's the reminder that we all have this unity in love, in the love of God in Jesus. And that is the only thing that can save us. That is the only remedy that can help heal us. So to paraphrase one of my favorite movie characters, help us, God of love, you are our only hope. So with that in mind, let's step back a little bit from our verses today and take a look at the wider context of this last chapter. These are Paul's last words to this particular community at this particular time, his last chance to share something with them for a while. We do know that Paul writes them again, and we do have a second letter from Paul to the Corinthians in our Bible. But this last letter encapsulates a point in time in this community that is unique to itself, and still perhaps part of it is a universal experience. So at the time Paul wrote this letter, he must have been trying to convey something important to the people of this Corinthian community. Paul is nothing if not a very talented pastor and gifted theologian. Nothing that he does is ever done without thinking beyond the situation that's right in front of him. Paul has a particular purpose in this passage. This is, after all, a letter that is not only pastoral, it's also personal. Paul is trying to keep in touch with all of the churches that he helps oversee. For as much trouble as it caused, 
the Roman Empire with their roads that linked the world like never before also allowed news and correspondence to travel like never before. Much like Joe sending out the E! New Hope, the weekly update emails that go to the New Hope community, this first letter to the Corinthians has directions about specific concerns to that specific community, as well as specific instructions at the start of chapter 16. Paul even talks about some of his associates, Timothy and Apollos, in verses 10 through 12. If Timothy comes, see that he has nothing to fear among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord just as I am. Therefore, let no one despise him. Send him on his way in peace, so that he may come to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but he was not at all willing to come now. He will come when he has the opportunity. So whenever I read this passage, it makes me envision Timothy as either very young or very naive, or perhaps both, but with a heart of gold and such zeal for Jesus that he just wants to jump into any situation without thinking, perhaps, like, I'll remember to look after Timothy. He just tries so hard. But maybe he's not as savvy as he could be, and maybe they have to keep him out of trouble. And then there's Apollos, who's maybe a little too savvy. And Paul is basically saying, he'll get there when he gets there, which is not surprising given the dysfunction in this community. But Paul also wants to talk about Stephanus and his role with the community in ministry, along with Fortunatus and Achaicus. Paul is making sure to highlight the connections that these men and their households have to give them credibility. We do know from other records that there were groups of false teachers that were traveling around at this time, just as Paul did, but that their theology, their view of who God is, and their teachings was not as developed or as close to Jesus's practice as Paul's was. So in order to combat this and direct the Corinthians as to what to look for in leadership, there are snippets of the section of chapter 16, verses 15 through 18, that read almost as a recommendation. This is how Christian life should be that members of the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaica. They devoted themselves to the service of the saints. So put yourselves in service of such people. This is what you're looking for. They have made up for your absence. It's a little bit of a sting. And they refresh my spirit as well as yours. They have this perspective, this teaching that you need to listen to. This is Paul, again, not only trying to name his associates and share their credentials, but trying to encourage the community in Corinth to what type of people to be on the lookout for as leaders and what type of people they need to aspire to become themselves. Faith communities have and always will need leaders, and Paul is trying to emphasize this type of leadership that serves Christian communities well, servant leadership. Being willing to stand up when culture is telling you that something should be different. Being of service 
to others. Being present to people as they need you and offering spiritual refreshment to others. Servant leadership, or diakonia in Greek, carries particular marks of Christianity to look for. Again, service to the saints, service to others, and service to the community for the gospel. This was the antithesis of the Corinthian culture around them, the community that they came from. By all accounts, first century Corinth, those type of people would seek leadership as a way to exercise rights and power over others and live with dispassion and not have much of a connection between those around them. Again, this culture that the Corinthian Christians grew up in and were experiencing around them is the absolute opposite of the type of life that Jesus led and that he calls his disciples in every age to live as well. That true leadership comes from being amongst the people and comes from within the group, from within the community. That power is not to be exploited at the expense of others. And that those lowliest in human society are lifted up in the kingdom of God. And that we are all called to love our friends, love strangers, and above all, love our enemies. So of course, this letter is filled with advice and admonishment. After all, this community that until Christianity came had been enmeshed in a culture that was rotting their souls. This call to self-giving love and serving others was a big shift for this community. They moved from worshiping local gods, striving for personal power over others, or perhaps having no faith at all, to learning about what it means to live a Christian life, to live as part of the God of the universe, to realize that your life and the life of all of your neighbors is all part of that wonderful, loving God of all creation. And that can take some getting used to. That is part of why Paul wants to highlight what Christian life looks like when it is lived well. So Paul also mentions various churches throughout chapter 16 that he is in contact with. Galatia, Jerusalem, Macedonia, Ephesus, Achaica, and Asia. Six other communities aside from the Corinthians. Again, Paul has a purpose. This is not an ego trip. This is a way to show the community in Corinth that no matter their internal struggles, they are part of something greater. They are part of the kingdom of God. This is a call to mission, a reminder that we are becoming part of something greater and that they were part of something greater than their household, their family, their town, their region, or their empire. That part of being a Christian is about being connected to other Christians everywhere through the Holy Spirit because every Christian is charged with sharing the gospel wherever they are as best they can. That part of working to spread the gospel is about being part of a community that has no borders and no particular location. 
This is the original ecumenical partnership, an international partnership in a network of God's people sharing the gospel throughout the world. And that even in their struggles, even in their brokenness, their scandal, their folly as a people, the Corinthians are also a people called to be a part of the resurrection of the world and co-labor with God and other Christians in it. And this is part of why I chose to share with you all the photo that's at the top right corner of your handout today. It's a photo that I took about five and a half years ago when I was on a women's retreat at Bishop Claggett Center in Buckeastown, Maryland, which is just a little bit outside of Frederick. This picture is a view of the ceiling of a feed silo on the property that's been turned into a chapel. Now, the silo chapel, with this beautiful glass and natural light, is one of my favorite spaces to pray. There just is this overwhelming feeling of the Holy Spirit when you walk in, this beautiful, airy, and yet intimate space that gives you the opportunity to feel that closeness of God around you. It's probably only about 10 or 12 feet in diameter, but it just seems to go upward through that glass ceiling and to the sky, as if this place was another Bethel, literally the house of God in Hebrew, with Jacob's ladder rising to heaven itself and somehow feeling like heaven is coming back down. It's hard to imagine that this sacred space was originally sentenced to destruction. A decade or so ago, when Claggett was expanding its conference space, this silo was attached to a barn that was condemned to be torn down. It did not stand a chance. It had structural issues. It had this metal, weather-worn roof that was basically falling off, rotting wood. Decay and death was all around it. And yet, it once served a purpose, storing feed for God's creatures. But it had seemingly outlived its usefulness. And the story goes that the original plans for the new conference center and dining hall that were to be built in the place of this silo and barn was going to clear away everything, that everything old was going to be gone, like taking away the weeds and the wheat, everything disappearing. Right until the plans were about to be approved, one of the architects had this brainwave to keep the silo. He had no idea why, but the architect felt that it should be preserved as part of the heritage of the property that had served as a plantation and a farm for so many decades. And like the parable of the yeast in Matthew, this small idea that I believe was planted and flowered from the Holy Spirit was leavened into what would become this sacred space in this picture. And this is something that I felt when Jason first talked to me about New Hilda's and uh, sorry, New Hope and St. Hilda's and gave me the opportunity to come and learn about these communities. That this is a place that is being made new, filled once again, not with one, but with two loving communities that want to share the gospel with the world, and that there is a new breath of creation here in this sacred space. That just like the Corinthians, moving from a world around them, that was filled with self-love over self-giving love 
into the wider Christian community that is the coming kingdom of God. It is these types of networks and Christian cooperation that will help us continue to reflect the love of God in the future. This is something that I will continue to carry with me in the example of this community, the hybrid identity of the relationship between New Hope and St. Hilda's and St. Hilda's and New Hope. The transformation of this space that had been empty is being used for its purpose again, just like that silo and just like the Corinthian community, to feed the people of God, the creations of God, to energize them for the work of God's kingdom in the world. That this working together to discern what you are called to do in your gathered community here as well as in the world outside your doors. This can take time. And just as it takes time for yeast to work through all of the flour, and it ties into Paul's encouragement to the Corinthian community in chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. Keep alert. So know what's going on around you. Stand firm in your faith. Know that the Holy Spirit will guide you. Be courageous. Do not be afraid. Be strong. Be empowered to persevere. Let all that you do be done in love, because true love is of God. So I want to end today as we began, to come full circle as Paul did, with the blessing that Paul sends to the church in Corinth, that throughout all of this letter, the advice, the admonishment, the recommendations, Paul's ultimately sending his love to this community. And like I said earlier, this is a self-giving love that shows Paul is putting this Corinthian community and their welfare above that of his own. He's not writing this letter because he wants to judge them or disown them. He might be a bit upset with them and their behavior, but that is because he has faith that they can live up to what Christian love can look like, that agape love that is given to everyone because we all bear the image and the heart of the God that we love. Remember that as it says in 1 John, we love because he loved us first. We love because God loved us first. We need to remember that as Christians, we are called to have a love for one another that is, reflect, is a small reflection of the love that God has for the entire human family that he created. A love that is patient, kind, not envious, nor boastful, nor rude, that opens, opens us to the hearts of others, that keeps no record of wrongs, that won't stand by when there is injustice or inequality, and knows that there is always hope in God through whom all things are possible. This self-giving, self-emptying love that Jesus embodied and gave to us saying, love one another as I have loved you and know 
that I am with you even to the end of the age. So take heart, beloved children of God. There is so much going on in the world that is trying to tell us that fear is fear, death is death, and that we have to worry about keeping up with consumer society, that there is nothing but love of self and looking out for number one. But as Christians, we are told, be not afraid. I am with you. Death has no hold over you because it has no hold over me. And remember that you are stewards of my creation, each and every creation, to care for everyone, to love everyone as yourself. So in the words of Pastor Paul, keep alert, stand firm in your faith, be courageous, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Let all that you do be done in the name of God, the God that you love, who is ultimate, original, unchanging love. And the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Loving God, there is so much that you have given us. All the grace that we could ever need. Faith, hope, and love. We know that you are always with us, that you never leave us. And the greatest gift of all is the gift of your love. Amen.